Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 335 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about mid-cap investing. Now, recently I talked about small-cap investing uh, and then got a, a you know a request from one of you all to say you know let's talk about mid caps mid caps really get overlooked I don't hear a lot about them uh, so I'm going to spend today's episode talking about mid caps talking about uh, the benefits of investing uh, in mid cap uh, stocks and you know exactly what the differences are from small cap and large cap uh, and then ultimately what everybody wants to know. What's the return difference? Uh, and we can make better decisions if we are better informed uh, about these different sized companies and different sized indexes uh, that we can follow and allow ourselves to build abnormal returns over time. So stick around for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. And that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long-form episodes on YouTube and podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Then just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is ultimately what I hope for every single one of you who's listening to this show or watching this show on a day-to-day basis. Now, I think very often with our investing, uh, we have this tendency, um, especially if you're an index investor, especially if you're somebody who's uh, just pouring money into a 401k or pouring money into an IRA uh, and just constantly systematically investing in that way uh, and not worrying too much about individual security selection. Uh, I think we have this tendency uh, to lean very heavily uh, on a couple types of indexes, right? I think we have this tendency to lean very heavily uh, on things, especially that have uh, names that we can recognize, right? Uh, I think the S&P 500, and I'm not talking about about the S&P 500 because I uh, myself invest quite a bit of money into the S&P 500, but I think uh, the S&P 500 is, uh, you know, just very popular. And I think it's something that, you know, it's got this name, uh, people recognize it, it's a benchmark that we look at all the time. Um, and we know that we can make good returns in the S&P 500, so we put money there, right? And that's a natural move, that's a natural thing to do. Um, and there's no argument for me as to, you know, doing that is, uh, you know, a valuable thing when it comes to your investing life. But um, my argument today is that we just shouldn't stop there. Right? We shouldn't stop with the S&P and we shouldn't stop with uh, the Dow or we shouldn't stop with uh, you know, even small caps. Right, uh, I know a lot of people, they look at the S&P and they go, okay, these are big companies. Uh, well, I know the risk reward relationship uh, in investing. I'm going to you know, go to the other end of the spectrum and I'm going to go to small companies uh, and small companies should provide me uh, higher returns. And that's not a bad way of thinking. That's not wrong. Uh, necessarily, right? Uh, but what we fail to pick up if we go from large cap S&P 500 
to small cap directly uh, is these mid cap companies, right? These in between sized companies uh, that are likely, you know, going to grow quite well as well, right? Uh, as a group. Now, obviously, uh, you pick any one of them, then uh, it's uh, a matter of your own discretion and your own analysis. But uh, if we're talking about uh, just as a group, as a group, um, you know, again, risk reward relationship, they should uh, perform quite well and quite well, you know, relative to something like the S&P 500. So mid caps are often overlooked in many investors portfolios. Mid cap stocks represent approximately 25% of the market capitalization of the U.S. equity market. However, investors are significantly underweight the group with only 12% exposure. And uh, this is as of um, you know, 1231 or 2020. So, uh, you know, a little less than a year ago, this was the case. Now I would, uh, you know, I would suggest given that, uh, you know, the market has just been up, uh, this year quite substantially, I would guess that you still see an underexposure in mid cap, uh, relative to the S and P or small cap or what have you. So, uh, naturally, uh, we see here that people are uh, underexposed because um, mid-cap just doesn't sound uh, as glamorous, right? Mid-cap doesn't sound like fun. It doesn't sound like something that's um, you know either going to take you for a real volatile ride, nor does it sound like something uh, that is going to uh, be stable for you over a long period of time. It's uh, mid-cap. It's kind of in the middle. It's kind of this weird uh, place. But People fail to realize they can make great returns with mid-cap stocks. Now, by not participating in the mid-cap arena, investors are potentially missing out on a major portion of the market. Just as it is important to diversify portfolios across sectors, right? Uh, it is also important to diversify across market capitalizations because you can just miss out. Uh, you can miss out on complete sectors of the economy. Uh, by not investing in smaller companies, right? Uh, if you're just trying to invest in large companies, then um, you know you may get a lot of industrials, you may get uh, a lot of older firms, a lot of big tech, but you may not get a lot of the um, you know technology that is being uh, developed in the U.S. today or around the world today. If you're not investing in small cap or mid cap or what have you. Right, so this is going to increase your diversification, and increased diversification is nothing more than decreased correlation uh, of returns of assets over time. Uh, and given that that is the case, then uh, that will take the diversifiable risk away, right, uh, of of your portfolio to a certain extent, uh, and allow you to just be left with market related risk, which uh, can be a very good thing, right? If you can get rid of the unnecessary volatility, the unnecessary uh, risk in your portfolio, then uh, that can be useful. Now, some people don't want to get rid of all that risk, but uh, as a long-term index investor, uh, you may be somebody who wants to get rid of as much uh, non-market risk as possible. Now, mid-cap stocks, they tend to be under-researched by Wall Street analysts, which may lead to opportunities, right? So it's not just us as investors who overlook these companies, it's also analysts. The prices of stocks with less analyst coverage um, may not fully reflect all relevant company data and therefore may be mispriced. 
These gaps in sell-side research coverage create opportunities for portfolio managers and analysts to identify and exploit the information inefficiencies uh, of promising companies that are experiencing significant growth. So uh, this is actually something I'm really interested in because uh, this is kind of where my research takes me. Um, and this whole idea of, you know, hey, we have these portfolio managers uh, these portfolio managers uh, may not get all the information from analysts, uh, and you know they may not make the full, um, you know, a hundred percent, you know, sure decisions uh, that they might if they had better information. Uh, because uh, analyst coverage is a big deal. Analyst coverage is something that provides a lot of information to investors ultimately, um, and obviously these portfolio managers who invest for large swaths of the population. Uh, and so these analysts, they play a big role. And if they don't have you know, the information, if they uh, don't do the research, if they don't cover these companies, uh, then there are big informational gaps. And there is um, a, a big chance that there's going to be an inefficiency in pricing. And a lot of times that inefficiency in pricing shows up as undervaluation relative to uh, other companies of the like. So that could be very beneficial for investors like you and I who can find uh, this quote unquote diamond in the, in the rough, right? Which it's not really, but uh, ultimately this overlooked asset class, this overlooked uh, you know portion of the market that still deserves to be invested in, right? Now, I think the next logical question is just, you know, what are we talking about when we're talking about mid cap, right? What does this encompass? that uh, is not encompassed in small cap or large cap companies. So a great number of companies experience several stages throughout their life cycle, right? First stage begins when a new company is launched, right? So this is the startup stage. So startup companies, they have the lowest market capitalizations as they have yet to generate significant earnings or expectations. Companies that survive the startup phase evidence a compelling product or service and or a level of earnings that justify a higher valuation and additional capital investment. At this point, companies are moving into the growth phase of the cycle, and this is where we get really interested. Right? Companies in the stage tend to be less volatile than small caps uh, and can easily adapt to change uh, and have higher potential returns than large cap companies, right? Uh, because again, there is a risk return relationship. Uh, we do expect that as a group, when we have smaller companies that uh, are you know, more risky in their uh, return volatility and uh, more risky in their earnings and uh, revenue volatility, then we will see higher returns all else equal, right? But this mid cap can be a sweet spot because we're not yet matured in the, the life cycle of the company, right? But we're also not in that startup phase, right? So a lot of these companies have made it past the phase of trying to just remain solvent and trying to just remain um, you know, afloat, right? Uh, but they haven't gotten to the point where they're resting on their laurels just yet. Okay, so this can be a very good place to invest. Companies in this stage tend to be less volatile than small caps, can easily adapt to change and have higher return potential than large cap companies, right? Um, so these large cap companies uh, that we are comparing them to, they may have uh, you know, more of the market share, they may have uh, a better product, they may have something that uh, these companies don't, which makes them large, right? And a lot of large cap companies can still grow uh, quite quickly. Uh, but ultimately, the ability to grow dwindles as you grow, right? Uh, as you get larger and larger, your ability 
to double, triple, quadruple, you know, 10 times uh, your return or 10 times your your size uh, in a relatively short amount of time tends to go away, right? Uh, Peter Lynch talks about this uh, in his book, One Up on Wall Street. He talks about, you know, if you have uh, a company, he doesn't use this exact example, but this is my version uh, of his example, right? If you have a company, let's say, uh, like Tesla, right? Uh, Tesla is $2 trillion company, right? And uh, many people have gotten very wealthy over the last year or two um, or more uh, when it comes to investing in Tesla. And so um, you, know, you have this trillion dollar company and you look and you go, okay, uh, what is the likelihood that this trillion dollar company turns into a $10 trillion company? And how long is that going to take? Right? Because the largest company in the world right now is uh, approximately a $2.5 trillion company. So how long is it going to take and is it even going to happen that Tesla goes from a trillion in market capitalization to 10 trillion, right? So if you were to have just asked this question a couple years ago when Tesla's at 50 billion in market cap uh, and you go, uh, okay, how long is it going to take to get from 50 billion to 500 billion, right? So that's again a, a 10 times return for investors. Well, that happened quite quickly, right? That happened very quickly as a matter of fact. And again, that's still a large company, but that happens very quickly. Um, but once you get towards the upper end of the size scale, the upper end uh, of valuation, uh, then you, you, know, you start to question how quickly can your returns continue uh, in the upward direction. And uh, the, the true answer is we don't know, right? They may hit $10 trillion in a year, right? Uh, but the likelihood, I would say, is far less because anytime you have you know past returns, that are extremely high. Um, your future expected returns aren't as high because you uh, you know, are pricing in a lot of things uh, that are potential about the future. That, and that's a big thing with Tesla and other companies of that uh, particular size and uh, technological advancement. Now, what are some of the advantages of mid caps? So mid cap stocks may be under allocated mini portfolios. Uh, but the case for mid-cap investing is compelling. Mid-cap stocks are uniquely positioned between small uh, developing companies and large mature companies. Mid-cap companies are typically uh, small cap companies that have succeeded. Right, So this is really good news for investors because uh, it takes away some of the risk of the small cap companies that have not succeeded. Right, And because they have survived, Mid-caps uh, are in a position to benefit from enhanced access to capital markets, potentially giving them a financial advantage over small caps. Now, obviously, as you grow, you'll have a uh, better ability to raise capital relative to uh, smaller companies. So that is no surprise. Uh, compared to large cap companies, mid-cap companies are often in the growth phase of the business life cycle uh, where they may be experiencing higher cash flows and earning growth rates, right? Uh, so they may be you know behind in total you know cash flows and total earnings from uh, large companies but the growth rate uh, is really what gets us interested in uh, these mid cap companies now mid cap stocks as measured by the russell mid cap index have outperformed both large and small cap stocks over the past 41 years mid cap stocks generally have outperformed uh, because they have seen both cash flow and earnings per share accelerate uh, especially compared to large caps, investing in stocks of mid-cap companies may be subject to more erratic market movements than stocks of larger, more established companies. Now, uh, this is a bit surprising because, again, we expect this uh, long-term relationship that is, um, you know, you take more risk, you get more return, right? 
And you would expect more risk to just be in smaller cap companies. And that's just not the case, right? Uh, This more risk of the small cap companies, uh, it does allow for higher returns uh, in a lot of cases, right? But uh, ultimately, there are a lot of small cap companies that do fail, right? Uh, But with the mid caps, the whole argument being made here is that you know, that growth stage matters and that growth stage will really allow you uh, to potentially outperform over a long period of time. So if you just look at the growth of a hypothetical $10,000 investment, uh, which is a super common thing that all these investment companies do, right? Um, And you look from January 1st, 1979 to December 31st of 2020, right? And you say, okay, well, what happened? Well, ultimately, the Russell Midcap Index uh, would be worth $1.8964 million. The S&P 500 would only be worth $1.2222 million, right? And then you have the uh, Russell Top 200 Index and Russell 2000 Index uh, that trail even the S&P, right? Uh, so quite the disparity over that 41-year period, over $600,000 worth on a $10,000 initial investment. Um, that's quite a large disparity, again, So if you look at annualized return comparison uh, of these indexes over time and you say, well, you know, what happened? Okay, well, over uh, 40 years, the mid cap was uh, at 12.42% annually versus uh, 10.33 for the S&P. You go down to 20 years, uh, it was at 9.44% annually versus 8.74 for the S&P. 10 years. Uh, 12.41 annually uh, versus 11.2 for the S&P. And then uh, let's just look at the last, you know, let's look at the last three years and the last one year. Uh, And last one year would be just 2020, okay? Uh, The three years uh, would be 11.61 for the mid cap versus 10.25 for the S&P. And then the S&P actually outperformed uh, by uh, 2.85% when it came to uh, the past year, right? Uh, and the Russell top 200 actually outperformed them all. But over the long term, the mid cap is the outperformer. Okay. Uh, now, this is very interesting. This is, uh, you know, compelling as an investor. You're like, okay, I want the best returns I can get. Uh, so why would I not be investing in mid caps? That's the question I'm raising for you, right? Now, let's say you looked at rolling periods, right? So uh, rolling periods means, uh, and this is rolling 20 years. So let's say uh, a rolling 20 year period would be from January 1st, 2001 uh, to December 31st of 2020, right? Uh, And then the next 20 year rolling period uh, would be January 1st, 2002 uh, to December 31st of 2021 this year, right? Uh, So that's what uh, these particular periods are looking at. So if you look at Uh, five different 20-year rolling periods, right? In each different case, uh, you are seeing the mid-cap outperform. The only place where uh, the S&P actually outperforms the mid-cap index uh, is in the December 2000 uh, 20-year rolling period, but it just barely outperforms by 20 basis points, right? Uh, so this is a very slight outperformance, but otherwise the uh, you know Russell mid-cap index would beat the Russell 2000, the Russell Top 200, and uh, the S&P 500 over time. Now, if we wanted to, what we could look at, um, instead of just these Russell indexes, um, I just thought about, you know, what has happened the past year, because I hold 
uh, ETFs from Vanguard. I hold mutual funds from Vanguard, the equivalent mutual funds uh, in you know my wife's 401k uh, and in our you know brokerage accounts and things like that. And I was thinking to myself, well, what has the mid cap done versus the S&P this year, right? In just a year. And so I look backwards and lo and behold, right? Uh, the Vanguard 500 had done 31.36% in the past year. The Vanguard mid cap uh, had outperformed by about 3.6% uh, with 34.97% uh, returns over the past year or so. And then if you throw in with those, uh, the small cap index, the small cap index has actually outperformed them both. So there has been a direct uh, over the past year risk return relationship that you would expect uh, of size where the smaller the company, the higher the returns. Now, if you back this out five years, right, the S&P 500 has had an out, outstanding run over the last five years, right? So um, the S&P 500 has outperformed uh, both small and mid cap. So there's actually been a flip there over the last five years. The largest companies have succeeded uh, the most, then mid caps, then uh, small caps ultimately below that, right? But nonetheless, these are all providing good returns. Um, and the mid cap companies, I think, have something to say, like I said, especially uh, over the S&P over the past year or so. Now, Relative to small companies, mid-cap companies generally have less risk as their businesses are more diversified and have better access to capital. Uh, relative to large companies, mid-cap companies have the potential to generate higher earnings growth and have less complex business models. Uh, this balance has provided consistent risk-adjusted performance. Okay, so uh, less complex business models, I think, is a big deal as well. Uh, because when you're a mid-cap company, you haven't acquired a lot of other companies. You haven't done a whole lot in the way of uh, acquisition. You haven't done a whole lot in the way of company diversification versus a large company, right? Uh, but compared to a small company, right, you've made it past that just let's survive stage. And now you're trying to actually uh, grow at a consistent clip. Now, uh, let's look at uh, one more set of returns, right? We looked at those 20-year rolling uh, risk-adjusted uh, returns, which again still uh, point to the mid-cap index uh, over the long term. But if you look at the annualized risk-adjusted return comparison uh, of these indexes, right? Uh, again, what are, what are we seeing, right? Risk-adjusted return, meaning how much return am I getting for a certain level uh, of standard deviation uh, of returns? This is measured by the Sharpe ratio. Right, and what do we know about the Sharpe ratio? The Sharpe ratio, uh, the higher the Sharpe ratio is, that means the more return you're getting for a certain level of risk. And so, if you look over the past 40 years, uh, highest Sharpe ratio is the mid cap. 30 years, highest is the mid cap. 20 years, highest is the mid cap. 15 years, uh, the Russell Top 200 uh, and the S&P 500 overtake the mid cap. Uh, 10 years. Uh, again, those other two overtake the mid cap. Five years, those other two overtake the mid cap. Uh, three years, the same. Uh, one year, the same. Okay, uh, but over a long period of time, right? You want risk-adjusted returns. Uh, then what you're finding is that the uh, mid cap actually does it. And again, those 20-year rolling periods of uh, mid cap returns uh, relative to these others, right? Um, if you look at a risk-adjusted basis, uh, the mid cap basically takes the cake in all these 20-year uh, rolling periods other than, again, the one ending uh, December of 2000, right? So ultimately, what are we seeing? We're seeing that uh, mid-caps matter, right? 
mid caps have a value that can be found in your portfolio. Now, the problem is, are you investing in it or not? Right. And I'll just give you some examples of ways in which you can uh, invest in it that I think are very simple. Right. Uh, these are not, you know, investment advice, but uh, these are just things that I invest in and ways that I get allocation uh, to mid cap. So uh, there's obviously the Vanguard mid cap index fund, which is just VO. VOO is their, uh, you know, S&P 500 uh, fund. But uh, the VO uh, is their mid cap index fund, which uh, can pr provide you some diversification there. They also have a similar mutual fund. So if you're interested in investing in a mutual fund uh, via Vanguard, that uh, is the VIMAX, right? Which is uh, still the Vanguard mid cap index, uh, but it's just the mutual fund, not uh, the ETF. Uh, and there are several other companies. I would say that any of the major ETF providers and mutual fund providers have uh, some mid-cap allocation that you can jump into. Now, a difficult thing, I will say this, uh, is that if you have a 401k or a 403b or something where you have these preset choices that you have to make, right? You have to make choices based on these preset options. Uh, sometimes they'll leave mid-caps out, right? Uh, sometimes they won't have some option to allocate into mid-caps. And uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, if you have the option, then I would definitely take it. I would definitely try to get uh, those higher returns over time and those higher risk-adjusted returns over time. I think that's one of the more interesting things about the returns of mid-caps because risk-adjusted is taking into account uh, how volatile your investments are. And you would expect that as your investments are more volatile, you should make higher returns uh, and the mid cap is basically giving you the best bang for your buck, right? Uh, if you're going to take a certain level of volatility, they're giving you the highest returns for said level of volatility. Okay. Which I love. I, I love being able to get the highest returns possible for the lowest possible, uh, risk. And I think everybody, uh, every risk averse investor, uh, should agree with that sentiment. Okay. Uh, so the real question, I think, uh, you know, if once you're convinced that mid caps are worth something is to say, well, how much money should I put in uh, to mid caps? I don't know that that's up to your risk level. That's up to your risk tolerance. And that's up to what your portfolio ultimately looks like. Uh, I would say that between mid and small, um, when it comes to total portfolio, uh, I would say that I probably have a pretty substantial portion relative to most. Right, I probably have 40-ish plus percent uh, in those types of things. Like I said, I do have a lot of money in uh, S&P 500 indexes, right? Uh, so that, that again, can be a large part of how you invest. But uh, if you do not diversify well into some of these other areas, uh, then that may be uh, a big issue. So uh, I think it all depends on where you're at. Uh, Mid-cap investing may not be for everybody. It may not be for somebody uh, who doesn't need to take any more risk than large cap companies. It doesn't need to be for everybody um, who, you know, just maybe doesn't understand uh, much about investing. And so you're trying to just keep it as simple as possible and just invest in the S&P or invest in a, a total world index or total market index. Fine. You can do that. And guess what? You'll likely be successful in doing so. I'm just trying to provide you with some options. I'm trying to provide you with some things to think about about your portfolio. Uh, and I think that one of the most overlooked areas, one of the most overlooked things uh, that gets invested in over time is the mid cap index. 
uh, and not just the Russell. I know the focus of this uh, Touchstone Investments article was on the Russell today, but not just the Russell, but just on mid-cap indexes uh, in general, right? I believe that they uh, have the ability to provide value, uh, but then the question just becomes uh, how much value relative to uh, some of these other major things that we'll invest in. And should we always expect outperformance? Not necessarily, right? But the whole point of diversification is not just outperformance by certain asset classes. It's the fact that uh, you decrease the correlation between the things that you're invested in. Right now, that doesn't mean that the stock market won't all move together over time uh, generally. But what it does mean is that you may be able to get some better returns uh, in times of low interest rates and when things are are really booming from smaller companies. Uh, but maybe for larger companies, uh, you know, when things are, are more stable, when rates are higher, when, uh, you know, things are tighter, then those large companies can outperform relative to the small. And so you kind of have uh, this long-term balance. Ultimately, I just want you to make the best decisions that you can for your own portfolio. Invest in mid caps or don't, but I think there's a lot of value to be had there. Uh, and I will continue investing in mid-cap companies over the long term. Uh, and maybe you're interested in doing so too. Uh, so I hope this uh, particular episode is informational enough to maybe make you just think about the opportunity of doing so in your own portfolio. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in Monday as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.